The Lifestylist, Episode 70, featuring Aaron Alexander. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You are listening to part one of two with our guest, Aaron Alexander. Be sure to tune in this Friday for part two. Back in the saddle again. Here we are. Another ride on the Lifestylist Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Story. Our guest today is my friend, Aaron Alexander. He stopped by the studio for about two and a half hours. And we went down so many crazy rabbit holes that it's hard to even describe this show. The idea was to talk about the mind-body connection because Aaron is an expert in functional movement and body work. Uh, rolfing specifically. So we we're going to talk all about that. But then shit just got crazy. We took a bunch of nootropics and drank some bulletproof coffee. And next thing you know, we just like went into the zone. You know what I'm saying? So it's a really great episode. I'm excited to share it with you. I'm just going to bullet out some of the things we covered. How your form creates your function, the true meaning of yoga and how to implement it in your life 100% of the time, not just in a class. Functional movement as the fountain of youth if understood and utilized properly. Working out and becoming buff and ripped and looking good to cover up your insecurities and how your self-worth does not come from the outside in, but rather the inverse. How personal care products can hurt your hormones and make you fat. Sounds crazy, but yeah, your deodorant could actually make you gain weight. The Taoist practice of semen retention and how porn ruins men's sexual performance. How intention and beliefs affect our health, the food we eat, and the immense power of placebo. We talk a lot about kundalini yoga and how it builds energy in your body, using body language for persuasion and rapport building. How clothes affect your mood and self-confidence. And as a weird side note, how the media actually tricked women into smoking in the 40s and how we can use our mind in the way that we believe in things to persuade ourselves or other people into doing things that either hurt you or harm you. Really trippy stuff there, but we want to a side note, definitely worth checking out. And then what is the proper way to sit in a squat position? So I actually did one in the studio. I got a lot of movement lessons from Aaron because we have this on Facebook Live. If you want to go back and see that, you can look on my Facebook. It's at Mr. Luke Story. That's my, um, you know, my fan page uh, for the podcast. And you can see me doing my sort of okay squat that he's schooled me on. That was very good too. And then uh, the dangers of chairs and sitting and how to sit in a healthy position, not only at your office chair, but on the couch and in a car, which was pretty cool. How to fix pronated ankles. Uh, we uncovered the dangers of modern footwear and how to heal your feet going barefoot or using minimal footwear. The importance of keeping your core and glutes engaged as you live your daily life. That's what really supports your skeleton, and we talk about how to do that all the time. Then what are the healthiest sleeping positions and how to quit your pillow addiction? How to use breathing techniques to cure sleep acnea? What are chakras and do they really matter? Are these like energy centers in the body actually real? And how can we work with them to achieve greater health? And what is the healthiest way to walk and to run? And then finally, the origins of rolfing and how it works to heal your body. So we talk a lot about the body work that 
uh, Aaron actually practices, and that's kind of his area of expertise. But as I said, we went into a lot of different areas. You're going to enjoy both halves of this interview, absolutely. We just had a lot of fun. It was actually very comical at moments because I think, I don't know, like I said, we just got in a zone and we just had some fun. So not so much of an interview on this one, but more of a conversation, a banter between two homies and you, my friend, get to be a fly on the wall and enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my all-time favorite companies known as Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic make these amazing medicinal mushroom and herbal elixirs. So there's these little packets really easy to transport, very portable, very potent, and very delicious. So they make a reishi, a chaga, lion's mane, cordyceps, etc. If you don't know what those are, you definitely need to look into your medicinal mushrooms. These are great drinks on their own, or even to add to an existing concoction. Like I love to upgrade my bulletproof coffee with Four Sigmatic products. And you may have seen this in my supercharged bulletproof coffee video. If you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. It's also in the episode upgrade from episode one. But foursigmatic.com is the place to go to get these highly convenient, very powerful, really high-end herbal elixir powders. So go to foursigmatic.com, and the bonus here is that I got you a little hookup of 15% off. How do you get it? You enter this code, the lifestylist. So at foursigmatic.com, enter the code, the lifestylist, to save a cool 15% off. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi.com. Really excited about this product. I've been using it for a few months, and I've got to say, they are revolutionizing the green juice game. So you probably know that green juice is good for you, right? We see them like in 7-Eleven now and airport convenience stores. That's awesome. I'm all for it. But there's a couple of issues with green juice that I find troubling. A is a lot of times they come in plastic. B, they're loaded with sugar up to 25 grams sometimes, which is insane. That's like a green Coke. But the main thing is they're just really in convenient. They're not good for travel. Organifi has solved that problem by creating these single serving packets of a really easy to mix, easy to use green juice superfood blend. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. It's got chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, turmeric, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, coconut water. Best of all, it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is a really low glycemic sugar. So it's not going to spike your blood sugar, which essentially drains you of energy, makes you crash, and ultimately could also make you fat because you don't want to be having a high sugar drink. It just is not good. So these guys make this amazing tasting, super powerful green juice powder. It also comes in a tub if you just want to have one at home. It's by far the tastiest one that I've found. There's a lot of superfood green blends around. And to be honest, a lot of them just taste gross and they don't mix well and they're just not convenient to travel with. You'd have to like make a Ziploc bag full of some green powder. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be traveling through the airport security and get caught with one of those. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend that you do. And I've also got a little discount for you, of course. All you do is go to Organifi.com, that's spelled with an I, Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, and you will save 20% off your order. It's a pretty sweet deal. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, and you will save 20%. Check it out. Aaron Alexander is an accomplished manual therapist and movement coach with over a decade of experience. He's the founder of Align Therapy, an integrated approach to functional movement and self-care that has helped thousands of people out of pain and into health. 
He also hosts the top-rated Align podcast featuring the biggest names in movement and wellness, including yours truly, the host, a couple weeks back. Aaron's clients include Olympic and professional athletes, and he speaks and teaches internationally. Here we are with my friend Aaron Alexander. Aaron, welcome to the Lifestylist Podcast, my friend. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Dude, this has been (laughs) really fun. We were going to start, you guys, we were going to record an hour ago. He shows up, I leave the front door open, I'm playing guitar, I got my Instagram Live thing going, Facebook Live, just acting a fool, that my street was blocked off, so it's like a miracle that Aaron actually ended up making it in here. We made a, a fantastic smoothie. We're all powered up. He's been doing some crazy yoga shit, breathing stuff, <laughs> ballet and opera exercises to get ready. So good to see you, man. Yeah, totally. Here we are again. We're going to record me as a guest on your podcast right after this, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about today is functional movement, rolfing, body work, the mechanics of the human body, and how we can improve the physical health through movement. And I don't even want to use the word exercise, but like functional smart fitness. Does that sound good? I like it. That's okay. Cool. tinker around in my head all day, so that'll work. Perfect. Okay, so... How'd you get into all this? Look, you guys that are, if you can go back and watch the Facebook live video, you're going to see, but dude is so fit. I mean, were you just like born, were you like a jock when you were a kid? Were you born fit or is this something you got into later? Were you like a nerd kid that got your ass kicked a lot and then later on got ripped? So I started off from the get go, started off ultra lanky, ultra awkward, kind of like a large kind of prepubescent giraffe type feeling i know the feeling yeah it was good and then uh and then had like uh, braces so i had like the separator retainer thing and so i ended up getting this huge gap where i could literally fit my fingers in between the front of my my teeth that was a nice character building experience and then got just had all sorts of insecurities and then what i did to kind of like combat those insecurities was pack on a freak ton of muscle so i put on like 60 odd pounds of muscle and I was, you know, farting whey protein farts all day. Like every two hours I was in the bathroom of my middle school slash high school, pounding down protein and creatine and, you know, glutamine and like all I was obsessed. And I think that was my expression to the world that like, I'm good enough. I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. I'm, you know, all those things. Yeah. I still do some of that today in other ways. Other yeah, than my do, body. <laughs> yeah. Overcompensating for insecurities. Yes, I know that well. Yeah, dude. And that's a lot of the a lot of the, you know, biggest, best, most respected people in the world are just void fillers. You know, and that's like a lot of the people like the most successful individuals that we see, they end up like losing their parents at a young age or something like that. They have some indication that the world's not safe. You better bug up and get your shit together right now. Right. You know, and so we're continually right. I get to and I know that you do as well, meet with a lot of like quite wealthy, you know, in quotation, successful people. And the thing that I witness with that, not always, but a high percentage of the time, it's almost like with this great success, some of the trends or tendencies that I see is that feeling of like, I need to, you know, batten down the hatches and get prepared for the, the storm is coming kind of thing. Whereas a lot of other people, it's like, good, I'm going to go surf or something. You know, I don't have any money, but dude. Yeah. <laughs> You just you just described the difference between my two brothers. I got a brother Cody who's has a checkered past like myself and kind of went to the dark side and you know has had I don't want to take his inventory but he's had a lot of problems in his life. He's overcome many of them of course like I have. And then our other brother Andy like is the guy where someone cuts him off horribly in traffic and he looks over, has glances over and he's like, oh, well, do, 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 and just keeps going down the road. It's like he's never been terribly traumatized by anything in life. It's just, it's funny like that. Mm -hmm. So 
But I like what you're saying is on the psychology tip, and we're going to get back to your story, but I can tell knowing you a little bit, based on our last hang, that you're nonlinear also. So listeners, um, you on Facebook Live, good luck hanging in there. (laughs) We're going to take some rabbit holes here. But I interviewed Russell Simmons yesterday, and he was talking about that very same thing, how people you know chase after money and fame and approval and accolades and all of that, only to find that once they achieve it, and they've so-called arrived, quote unquote, that they're still empty inside, you know? So I, I'm very familiar with that. Um, not so much as from a standpoint of becoming rich and famous, but, you know, I wanted to be in a band and I thought that would fix me. Then I got in a band and it didn't work. Then I want to be a big stylist and that happened and that didn't do it. And so I'm always watching that, even having a podcast, like how much of this is to prove to the world that I'm worthy and that I'm smart and to be popular and how much of it is actually to contribute something meaningful. And that's always something I think we have to be aware of. So anyway, back to you. You're in junior high, you're in high school, you're pumping iron, you're trying to compensate for your insecurities and that feeling of inferiority, and as a result, became this beast. Mm. Okay, but I have a question about that, because I've always been curious. Do you think, had you, like, in your developmental years, had you never lifted weights or anything, that you could have just started at, say, 35 and gotten ripped? Because I've never, I can't build muscle, like, I don't care what, I could deadlift, do CrossFit, whatever. I'm only going to get to a certain point. I have this ectomorph kind of body. Not that I really care, but I've always wondered, like, if I was not a stoner in high school and I had been a jock in high school and built that kind of into my... I don't know, my body as I developed, would it have been something I could have maintained easier now? Or did I miss that window when I was young? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I was waiting for this profound answer. <laughs> I was waiting for like this really you know scientific answer. You're like, I have no fucking idea. If anyone would say like, this is the answer, then screw them. They don't, they're, they're, they're talking out their ass. No. Um, All right. Know. So back anyway, that was just a weird question. But back to on. your story. Okay. Well, so I do have some degree of something along that, those lines. Though. Okay. You know, so something that we do have is we have our, you know, our perspective on ourselves, our perspective on the world and the way that we actually operate and move through through the world, right? So if you move through the world from a perspective of I am defeated, I am subservient, I am not good enough, I am fill in the blank thing, one of two or maybe some other postures will end up manifesting. Posture number one, this defeated, hunched over, forward folded shoulders. What I'm doing right now. So it'll change your physiology, man. It'll change your hormones. It'll change literally, you know, the secretions inside our endocrine system will change in relation to the way that our physical posture is. Right. And so what I find interesting with that idea is a lot of people that it's like, well, I'm just fat, you know, like I'm just, that's just, and it's like, okay, well, like I understand there's a lot of things going on, but you know, there's probably a lot of environmental factors. You know, you could look at maybe like the type of shampoo and deodorant and cologne and, you know, the EMS and like all the things that you already talked yeah. to. Yeah. Well, hey, you know. no, no, no. Let's, let's, let's break that down. So touch on the endocrine disrupting things in that. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell people why well, your deodorant could be making you fat. Sounds well, crazy, but it's true. Well, my depth is going to be in the movement part. So I, I don't want to I, I, <laughs> I know, but you know some shit. I know. I know. I, I mean, I, I like to think that I know some things, but so essentially my rule with all that stuff is if it is the it's the same thing we were talking about before you know the more packaged something is the less your body is going to be able to assimilate and interpret what that is right so food's not food food is information right so as you're putting if you're putting information into your body and when i say food i mean deodorant i mean shampoo i mean anything that touches this skin bag that is that is you Right. You know, and by skin bag, I mean, like the, the skin's the biggest organ, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And you're continually receiving information through your pores. 
right? So when you're putting information that your body doesn't really understand, right? Then in my simple mind, that's where mutation manifests. That's where confusion Dude, manifests. Beautifully said. That's the only way that I can deal with this stuff either. Like I, I don't, I don't expect a scientific answer from you. But sometimes I get them, even by surprise, you know, mm. but I interview someone like Jack Cruz and they go <laughs> into like the quantum physics of why aluminum is bad in your deodorant and all that. But sure. what I'd like to say to the listener is that anything you put on your skin goes into your blood faster than if you were to eat it. Right. So if you're putting aluminum filled deodorant on and all of these other, um, you know, chemicals that are in lotions and shampoos and toothpaste and everything else on your skin, in your mouth, even if you spit it out, that disrupts your hormones. So that goes back to the thing you were kind of alluding to, like, oh, well, why am I fat? Why can't I lose this gut? It probably has something to do with a hormone imbalance, which yeah. could be negatively impacted by putting fake plastic grease all over your body every day. Yeah, it's analogous with, I mean, in, in reference to Jack Cruz, I've also had him on mine oh, a couple times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and so we like super geek out and... I read a lot of science stuff, and when I do speak it, I, it sometimes feels regurgitated, you know? And so I have to speak from more of like an embodied place of like, this is how it really makes sense to me, you know? And so that's usually what I try to communicate most things. I dig um, it. But with that, you know, he speaks on like light, you know? And so it's like, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? So when we're close, I think of this, this earth, you know, as we're touching the ground, as we're in relation to the, the movement of the sunlight, when we're eating organic food, as we have our feet <laughs> on the grounding pad right now. I, I heard you say touching the ground. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, the closest thing we got. I'm going to break yeah, you off pad. with some, with a grounding pad under yeah. my desk. Yeah. You know, so all those things, that's kind of like the teat, right? We're coming back and we're going to be able to nurture ourselves and connect back with what we are, what we came from, you know, and as we start to try to kind of like hack that or trick that or whatever it is, and we're like, you know, Thomas Edison, Tesla, whatever, we have light bulbs now. This is awesome. I can work until two in the morning. You know, all of those things, I think there's a price to pay. And you can say the same thing in relation to the food that we eat. You know, as soon as we start to deviate from what we could actually like reach down, grab out of the ground, put into our face, reach down, grab on the ground, rub on our skin. You know, as soon as we deviate from that, I think that what we're doing is we're just, we're, we're gambling. You know, as soon as you come back to that nature, you know, the teat, then it's like, you know, it's like you know, mother's milk. It's a guaranteed win. You know, yeah, we've just done yeah. a lot of gambling now. And now we're at the point where it's like, I feel like we don't even know what's real anymore. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's this process and like Daniel Vitalis isn't, you know, like rewilding. I was listening to his show this morning. Yeah. He's talking about living out in Maine and harvesting maple syrup. And I'm like, I think I need to move out of the city. <laughs> like this is, well, it's so, it's like, I mean, dude, I've been in Hollywood 28 years though, yeah. or 29 or something now. And I, you know, I get out to Ohio. I just went out to Desert Hot Springs for the weekend in Joshua Tree. I was in Idlewild before that. So I get out of here, but dude, like living in alignment with nature is difficult to mimic living in a city. I have my grounding pad here at night. I have orange lights in the house, no blue light. I mean, I do everything I can to kind of recreate that. Mm -hmm. But if you're living in a more rural area, you have to work a lot less hard, you know, to be in alignment with nature. I find, I don't know. What do you think? You live in the city. So we go to a lot of, so I've, I've lived in some of the most like crunchy granola meccas of the world. So I lived in Boulder, Colorado. I lived in Maui, Hawaii. I lived you in live Bend, in Oregon. Haven't not yet, but I'm going to visit soon. Uh, you know, and so in those experiences though, I've seen, you know, a lot of really healthy people, but Hawaii would be a really good example of that. Where like meth, is a complete epidemic totally. you know it's like consuming yeah. the place so you go to a lot of these places and it's like oh it's rural it's great you know it's like well 
one of the biggest things, you know, from like scientific studies and such is we need human connection. We need tribe. We need eye contact. We need ah, hugs. Okay, go. Okay, go, go, go. Yeah, this is good. This is you good. You know, and so that's, so that's the big thing is, is it's like, okay, well, we're kind of, we're doing this bartering system right now. You know, I moved from beautiful Bend, Oregon, you know, to Santa Monica, which is also really beautiful in my opinion. You know, but because of the tribe, because of the network, you know, you don't live in Bend, Oregon. You know, you know, all these people that I have access to here where we can make these superfood smoothies and we can have all these really freaking weird, fun conversations that I like really appreciate. It's not as abundant in some of those places, which leads us to feeling a little bit like we don't know where to direct our energy correctly. And if you don't know where to direct your energy, sometimes it can turn into, you know, you just described else. my entire dilemma with why I don't move out of the city. It's because of the social network. It's because of the tribe. It's because of the human interaction. And I'm someone that just to keep a baseline of happiness, I need a lot of work. I mean, I go to Kundalini yoga a few days a week. I have support groups. I have therapy. I have all kinds of stuff I do because I just am a disturbed person unless I really work on myself and I have to continue to grow and evolve or I just start getting fucked up. Mm And one of the things that's most scary to me is moving to Bend, Oregon, or moving to Sedona, or moving somewhere where there's just fewer like-minded people, and I end up spending more time alone. Because to be totally honest, dude, I've felt this existential loneliness my whole life. I've just always felt alone, and I think that's why I got into drugs and you know, just so much of the dark shit that I've gotten into was really just my medicine for treating that inherent loneliness. Dude, today I have not hugged. I should have hugged you when you walked in. I haven't hugged anyone. I haven't had any human contact. It's likely that I won't have any for the rest of the day. Humans aren't meant to live like that. Mm-mm. Yeah, we'll you get know? a good hug in before. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe we'll take a hug break right now. <laughs> but I mean, this is real shit, dude. This is, human beings are not meant to live in isolation. So when I think about moving to a place like that, that's always the thing. I'm like, yeah, but what about my my homies? What about the people? I'd have to rebuild that. And as much as I might love the the nature in you know the outback of Alaska, like, I might not vibe with like some redneck logging dudes that live out there and don't that aren't into the same shit I'm into. You know what I'm saying? So it's like being in the city is a way to be close to the tribe and the people, but then the environmental toxins and just the influence of the smart meters and EMFs and cell yeah. phone towers and just the kinetic fucking energy here is very draining. Like I don't see how people live in New York, dude. I go there for work a few times a year and it's like the minute I land and get my Uber, I'm like, are you guys fucking serious? How do you do this? Yeah. Like, it is absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah. So you pose a really good point, and you're kind of the opposite, someone that's lived in all these beautiful, like, majestic places and found maybe something lacking in the social structure and yeah. just the availability of, you know, having tons of good friends. I mean, I have so many friends in L.A. that, you know, I said I haven't had a hug today, but <laughs> it's because my friends don't hug. No, um... That can't be true. I have no, no, no. They do. They do. I just haven't seen anyone today. I went to yoga. None of the homies were there. I didn't want to go up and like swoop on someone and like be. I'm needy. I need human touch. But um, I have more friends than I could ever hang out with here. You know, versus living and homesteading somewhere. Okay, so here's my solution: you fucking get an amazing partner in your life, and you go pop out a few kids, and you homestead, and you have there's your there's your unity, there's your family. You have a woman or a man, depending on what you want, and somehow work some kids in the equation, and you have a, a rad little organic farm, and do your thing, and then you travel to the city when you need to do things like we're doing here. So yeah. I think that might be an end game solution. 
and how a lot of people that live in the suburbs and live in rural mountain areas and stuff, that's how they combat that loneliness is by building their own literal little mini tribe. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting when you look at like the demographic of people that are creating the most children. It is more like the simple folk, you know, and the people that seem to be filling some type of existential void of some sort that you and I probably fall into that category where I'm like, I, I might not ever have kids. I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's because I have all these, you know, these seeds to sow or whatever. I'm like, I, I, yeah. I have these things, you know, and like where that comes from. You just you know? described my 20s and 30s. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm slowly coming out of that now because my values are changing. Yeah. But it's taken a long time. How, how old are you, by the way? 29. 29? Oh, coming up on damn, 30. bro, you're young. Young guy, yeah. Yeah, you got a lot of seeds left in you. Mm. For sure. Yeah, I hold them For in, sure. actually. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so let's don't do the ejaculation. Let's part. talk about that. Okay. <laughs> no, this is good. This is good. And 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 listeners and anyone watching on Facebook or Instagram Live, we are going to get back to the task at hand. Which was, things, we're, yeah. we're going back to high school and junior high. Don't think I talk about everything that Aaron doesn't know anything about. Don't think I forgot about that. We're gonna and we're gonna get to movement. And you know what? Let me see. Let me check the time. Uh, all right. So we're 18 minutes in. This might be a two-hour deal, man, and we'll break it into two episodes. Yeah, I'll go as long as we have to go to cool. cover the shit that we're passionate about. Let's, let's do it. Okay. So seed retention. Now, I've talked to a few people about this. If you're listening and you're a woman, this might sound totally bizarre, but there are a few different methods like Taoist methods and things like that that men can use to actually withhold their ejaculate. So yep. no baby batter coming out. You can still have an orgasm, not as awesome as in my experience as like a full-on release orgasm, but you can have an orgasm in which you withhold your chi or your body's energy that's released and kind of squandered from ejaculating. Mm. So that's what we're talking about. What's your take on that? Well, this is another one of those things where it's I'm in experimentation mode. Yeah. And I'll be able to provide more details as we go. I've been experimenting for the last, last two years. Okay. You know, and now it's, I guess, just become a part of, you know, who I am. Yeah. To me, it's the avoidance of the insurgence of like the sleepy hormones, you know. And so upon actual proper ejaculation, to me, what I feel is I feel a little bit more, um, I mean, vapid's way too strong of a word, but just like deflated. You know, and so that, totally. and, and so it's. Have you ever tried to explain this to a female partner, by oh, the way? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, what? Uh. Like, I've tried to explain that. They're like, say, wanting to have sex, which your average guy would be like, oh, let's go. And I'm like, yeah, we're kind of doing it too much. And women just don't understand this. It's like, dude, I'll get sort of moody if I'm doing it too much with mm. like the full thing. Yeah. Uh, a little bit depressed sometimes, definitely totally. sleepy afterward. I'm definitely not going to be as driven to be productive and work on my podcast or my business. Like yeah, yeah. my creative energy tends to get sapped. And I, women have a hard time understanding this because based on my conversations with them, they're like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. After sex, I feel amazing. I'm ready to go run a fucking marathon or, creatures. or you know, run a company or whatever they're into. It's like, I'm like, yeah, you get energy from it. I lose energy from it. And this has been... I mean, not a serious issue, but there's been conversations around this because I'm like, as much as I love sex and I love having sex with that person at that particular time, it's like, God, the price to pay. So I want to find out what you're doing. But what I've learned to do, it takes a lot of discipline. I haven't learned the Taoist thing where you can still orgasm. You don't touch yourself in any way to prevent the ejaculation. But there are guys who can literally just like clench their muscles and hold in the jizz and still have an amazing like full body orgasm. I have not arrived there. I guess I haven't worked enough, but I can do like what I would call a manual mm -hmm. like stoppage of the plumbing well, at that moment to prevent 
mostly anything from coming out. And what's weird, and this could be psychosomatic, but I have a feeling it's not. If I do that, I have like an okay orgasm. It's better than not having one at all and not feeling that sense of accomplishment that you get from coming. (laughs) But if I do that, I don't get the tired hormones. I don't feel sleepy. I don't feel depleted. I don't feel irritable. I don't have any of the depletion kind of feelings if I stop the flow. What about you? What what are you up to? No exact same situation. And so I can, um, not to one-up you, but I have a bit, it depends. If I'm in like full thrust, then I'd have to manually kink the hose with my hand, which is like reaching under under your perineum there and and holding off. Yeah, Um, so describe, for for guys listening, describe the the kink the hose process. Yeah, the old old kink the hose. Well, I mean, what uh, my granddaddy taught me, which this is not, this is like, I think YouTube taught me or something. I don't know where I got this information from years ago. But um, yeah, just directly behind the testicles, you can kind of feel the shaft of your of your penis comes back, probably about double the size of what it actually comes out. I know. I wish more of it came out of you. Yeah, I'm trying that. to pull that thing out. So, because <laughs> it is like the part that goes in your body is like a, you got like an That's extra six talk. inches there that you could be like displaying proudly, but it's like locked into this wall of your pelvis Dude, i just annoying. did a, i was doing some sexological body work with uh with a, a friend that um you might know I, i'll mention i'll mention them after i'm not sure i'm sure it's fine to talk about but whatever and uh one of the things that we were doing that was really cool is she was really spending some time like working in that area and like and bringing life to that area you know and that's that's one of those, those zones with her body that it's kind of like a blank spot you know it's like a forgotten space and it's all you know it's like ooh, like oh, i don't know it's right because in body work like you're going to the happy ending thai massage place and you're getting a massage that you pay a little extra i've heard this <laughs> i mean i've heard guys talk about rumors this have it. a friend of mine you know told me some rumors about it yeah but that's not like it's not body work i mean it's like it's a subtle form of prostitution but if you go get like legitimate body work, they're always very careful not to touch your genitals, whether you're a man or a woman, because it's just inappropriate and there's a boundary there. And obviously, like you don't want to be touched that way. But you're so fucking right mm. that you have muscles and tendons and ligaments everywhere, and mm. they should all be manipulated if possible. So what's up with that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Thomas Hanna is a nice resource for people that you can put in your show notes or whatever. Cool. Um, and he's written several books in relation to this, but he calls it sensory somatic amnesia, right? So sensory, your sensation of, you know, your feeling, um, and then motor. I might have said that differently. It's sensory motor. Is that what I said? Anyways, the motors are movement portion, and then amnesia, you know, we forgot. You know, and that's so much of our body, and we could break this down in either of our bodies. I can find places in my body that I have, you know, I'm, I'm you know, they've forgotten essentially, and I'm working on enlivening that all the time. You know, but we can get to a point where we're stuck in contraction, you know, or we're stuck in dysregulation, where it's just not engaging. Right? Glutes do that a lot. Our butts. You know, and and the way that we enliven or engage, you know, plug the system back onto itself is through practice and intention. You know, so you mentioned a lot of like Kundalini yoga and such. And, you know, one of the things that they mentioned there, I think, is something along the lines of like where you put your intention, energy goes or something along those lines. You know, just by thinking it, it starts to be, oh, okay, cool. You know, so I bring my awareness into the back of my back, you know, between my shoulder blades or I bring my awareness into my perineum or the bottom of my feet or the back of my kneecaps. You know, and as you start that conversation of introspection, you know, a Joe Campbell quote is, is he, said, he said something along the lines of like, you need to go into the fire to pull out the treasure. You know, so it's, it's that introspective of reaching into yourself and starting to 
jumpstart your body because if you just allow modern society and just allow yourself to form into it you know as you can see I've, I've gotten off the chair now because i just i got i could feel my sacrum and i could feel my pelvic like all the things getting kind of sticky you know so if i let society if i just go with the flow of society we'll we'll be fucked <laughs> we'll be completely screwed you know and so you have to actually reach in and engage these things you know and so with something like that with like sexual body work you know i think there's a lot of value there because a lot of people from a really young age were taught to be embarrassed about our, our peepees and our wee-wees you know and like our pelvic floor your perineum your gooch you know it's like nope or, that's or not, i don't even have that taint yeah taint, right yeah. I, I don't even have that Right. Yeah. You know, and, and what that ends up doing, you know, a lot of people, there's, you know, the, the diaper industry is like a billion dollar industry, dude. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like our bodies are built to maintain continence until we die. There's no, you know, whoever it was, universe or creator or whatever it was, there's no way they just played this cosmic trick on us. It's just like, this is going to suck when you're 45, you know, or 50 right, or 60. Right, like right. he's going to piss his pants. It's going to be hilarious. He's going to piss his pants. No, 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 no. We did that. We're doing that. You know, and you can undo that through starting to speak to it, you right. know? And so things like sex, one of the reasons that I think that people actually get so much value from sex is you're undulating your hips, you're moving your pelvic floor. You know, you're starting from, again, Kundalini terms, you're starting to awaken that Kundalini. Yeah. You're starting to get that movement up from your <clears throat> sacrum up your spine. Probably in dance too. So much Big kind of thing, time, right? Yeah. That's why I'm so obsessed with dance, Yeah, you know? And, and, and dance is one of those things where it's blown the roof off of working out essentially you know because when we're in the gym we're doing you know more linear a to b bicep curl quadricep extension bs it's nonsense it's reductionist work you know and you're pulling those parts down into individual segments the only way for you to become an effective athlete is for you to actually put those parts back together right so anybody that wants to play sport that wants to have sex well that wants to dance that wants to just you know have like nice body language even you know, they need to really focus on what's the wholeness of my body, you know, and the way that you start focusing on the wholeness of the body is things we can get into if you want, okay. you know, we're going to get heaps, into heaps it. Of directions. Okay. So jump back to the semen retention. Piece. <laughs> <laughs> More specifically. <laughs> it's, it's funny though. I've actually discussed that because these, are the, I mean, dude, these are the things I wonder about yeah. subjectively. So I ask people their experience or their expertise. And I've actually talked about this with a few guests like John Gray, um, the author of uh, men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. I've interviewed him twice. Two mm. of my most popular episodes. The guy is just fantastic. And he comes from the, you know, he was like hanging out with gurus in the 60s and going yeah. to India and all that stuff. And he got into the Taoist practice of retention and all that. But he yeah. says now, he's like, you just have to only have sex once or twice a week and do the full experience with someone that you love and that you're really intimate and bonded with. And he says that it it harms your prostate to do the retention. I'm like, yeah, what woman is going to go along with once or twice a week? Like, sure. I don't, <laughs> maybe if they're 80, but I, I don't even think then I've. I don't know. Maybe I need to hang out with women that are less sexually driven, but I would have a hard time convincing them of that. So the retention thing, is that something you do all the time? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So pretty, well, no, no, not all the time. I, I'll have like, I'll have, I'll have a good old fashioned ejaculation maybe yeah. um, twice a month. 
damn bro yeah that's some discipline no i don't think so at all i think it's not a big deal it's honestly it's like saying like i drink not to relate this to eating carrot juice but it's like saying like i eat carrot juice every day you know it's like damn it's like no i really like carrot juice it's fine right yeah it's (laughs) so even at at 29 that just sounds like such a sacrifice it doesn't feel that way 29 i feel like you could spare a few shots you know but yeah they 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 say they say at age 29 i think they they is probably like the upanishads or like i don't i don't know where you know what vedic texts you know it was but you know, they say at a younger age, you're allowed to spare a few more patinks. And right. then as you get into the older age, that's like maybe once a month, you know, then maybe yeah. like once every couple months. And then Well, like, Yogi Bhajan uh, of Kundalini Yoga fame, I forget what the numbers were, but something like that. Like for every year you're yep. alive, you should only like jizz so much and blah, blah. I don't remember the specifics, but it kind of made sense. Okay. So thank, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. So <laughs> you super stud can use the manual technique or just use your Jedi mind power to like stop that from happening. If I'm not in like full animalistic thrust, mode, right. You know, so if yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to pull back and go into some perennial clenching maneuvers and, right. and then, yeah, I'd be able to find that. Cool. And then as well, something that I find that I find interesting is if I can get into that point where um, I kind of pull back just enough, like we're kind of a- approaching red line right. and then we kind of like back it down to yeah. like 5,000 RPM or whatever. What <laughs> I find is, is with time, you know, if you, if you treat sexuality, just like you should treat your movement practice, you know, it's an ebb and a flow. Right. So if you're just full on, like if you get your education from porn, which most of us do, you know, you're just like fucking full on, like P in the V go, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, and it's just like, okay, well, that's, that's one version, you know, but what you'll find with that is if you practice that, then you are essentially practicing premature ejaculation, you know, so if you can get into that ebb and that flow where you kind of treat it more like, like waves, you know, and having a good little break and a cuddle and like maybe doing something that's not just penetration for a little while. Like that's fine. You know, like we could stop, you know, my, (laughs) my buddy, he's, he was, I just remember him like telling me the story. He's like, sometimes you just put it down. You know? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you just put it down. That guy must be packing some heat. Like I've never thought of my junk as like something I need to put down. Like let's set that thing aside. You just set it aside. But what you find with that is you start breaking through some barriers from a sexual perspective where it's like, oh, all of a sudden this like, you know, yippee, I'm doing it thing feeling starts to go away and it starts to feel more embodied, like an, an embodied experience. You know, right. it's not this, oh, this anxious yeah. anxiety, who and bleef, oh, there it goes. <laughs> you know, but it's totally. more of like, yeah, we're having sex or we're not, or, you know, totally. it's okay. And that's, that's like, okay, now we're, now we're getting I, You know what? I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think largely due to, at least in the past five years, I mean, being over 40 helps, you know, you're not like sure. as excitable. You can kind of keep your cool. Um, but doing Kundalini yoga and learning how to control that energy and move it up and down your spine and all the stuff that I do for 90 minutes a day, many days a week has enabled me to do that, to get to that sort of edging space where you just remain in this ecstatic, highly aroused state, but then are able to take breaks and not even get close to finishing when you don't want to. Cause you touched on something very true, dude. And that is the phenomenon of like us males. I think predominantly us males training ourselves through pornography because i was born in 1970 so by the time i was like seven eight years old deep throat and behind the green door were out and like (laughs) this is going back my first porn experiences were on betamax dude like that's pre-vhs for those of you listening which is pre-dvd which is pre-download 
You remember um, how sacred they were? Oh, dude. Like when I, I got mean, my hands on a porno <laughs> yeah, when I was like 12. I remember very it was well. Like, it was like vibrating in my hands. Dude, well, it, it was went, like a halo coming it out It went from it. like a stack of Playboys <laughs> that you find in like a cardboard box in your grandpa's garage to like, my. I remember I had the Joey and Tony Conti, these two Italian kids I used to hang around, and their parents were wealthy and they had this big house. And they had like one of the first giant screen TVs and they had a Betamax, which we didn't, we couldn't even afford a Betamax. I don't know how much they cost, but that was like a luxury and so when their parents would leave like the minute they would leave it was like deep throats going in (laughs) going from like going from like playboys of like nude girls with huge bushes to just like full on gnarly like pretty hardcore sex on a tv was like the most amazing thing ever and um hence developed a lifelong practice that has taken many years to curtail and try to fully eliminate from my life not for moral reasons but just for reasons of energetically it's just i'm not in alignment with it anymore you know it's like the stuff i'm doing spiritually does not go with like hardcore porn yeah uh but what i have realized is that through my teens 20s and then a lot of my 30s like i was literally training myself to ejaculate as fast as humanly possible on a regular basis because you just want to get it over with you're not that in love with yourself where you want to sit there all day with your willy in your hand it's like you're trying to go to sleep or just like feel good for a minute get it done get a little dopamine blast and call it a day and um you know it, it took some time for me to like learn how to undo that and actually have a fully integrative experience with another human being and learn how to play with that energy so totally surprised digression mm. Uh, not a topic that I had. I have my little bulleted list here and that was totally off it, which is beautiful. I can spin off of any of this at any time. That's good, dude. That's good. So (laughs) I'm loving it. So let's go back to, because I want to really find out what took you on this journey because I feel that it gives guests credibility and you you can anchor into them when you kind of identify with their story. So you're in high school, uh, you're like not feeling great about yourself. You've got these horrendous teeth with a fucking giant gap in them. You got these braces, you're scrawny, you're skinny, you start pumping iron, you get into sports a bit. Give us like a fast forwarded journey into how you actually started pursuing this as your life's work. Yeah. Well, so, um, random story. I've been hanging out with my dad recently. He's out in town and we've been like, you know, doing all sorts of nice, took him surfing and all sorts of fun things. He was smoking crack when I was like 15, 16, you know, in that territory. And wow, he, he got, was an early adopter then. I didn't find crack until 89. I was like a, the latecomer <laughs> to the scene myself. Well, so he was, well, no, you were, you found it before that. This was, this was, you know, whatever it was, 15 years ago or oh, something okay, like that. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, so he had be, he had got kind of wrapped up in like, He's like gang people. He was like a stockbroker slash like uh, president of the conservancy. He was a falconer. We'd fly hawks together and like hunt rabbits and shit like crazy. And then all of a sudden, is this up in Oregon? No, this is in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. I was born in Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and so then all of a sudden he gets into like really, really heavy, heavy drug use. You know, to the point of like it was from you know. I had completely accepted him as being, as being dead. That to me, it was like, that was my protective mechanism. Yeah. You know, so I would replay on the daily basis. Okay. Like how does it, you know, whatever, or, you know, what it may be specifically how it happened, but just, he's absolutely funeral happened. Like, you know, move on. Cause it was, it was so viscerally real. Like that is any, any minute, any hour that's happening, you know? And, and so with that, uh, something I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, in retrospect, I think that that was kind of a part of the protective mechanism was, you know, 
there's a hurricane coming, you know, batten down the hatches kind of thing. And my version of batten down the hatches was lots of creatine, lots of push-ups, you know, lots of lots of bench press. God, that's so cool that you I mean, as an escape mechanism, it's great that you did something healthy rather than like Well. I mean, <laughs> okay, we'll get to that. Know. We'll get to that. Cuz I know myself, I was raised by a lot of addicts and alcoholics and I was never like I'm never going to be like my parents. I'm going to be straight and, you know, get good grades and like mm. become a cop when I grow up. I was like, hey, they're fucked. I might as well join in too, you know? Yeah. So some of us kids, I think, go that way. And then some of us rebel against the whole thing. So you rebelled a bit, but then did you end up following in his footsteps to a degree? No, not with drugs. Okay. Just I with, mean, sure. I mean, I got high all the time, but but it wasn't right. like, and like I was a binge, I was a binge drinker and I'd okay. try, you know, I'd be like tripping on Robitussin and shit, like pretty much anything Yo, that was tussin. around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <rubber laughs> tripping. yeah, you know, so at that, yeah, at that time frame from age, you know, 15 or so to, and this isn't, I'm not by any means putting that on, on him. That's just the, the, yeah. you know, the way, the way that, yeah. that it went. Hey, you, know, you're, you chose the coping mechanism. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, you know, whatever, whatever it is, or even whether the coping was from that. Like, I don't, I zero percent, not just saying that because, you know, cliche, whatever, but like the woe is me, I think it's BS. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. you, you choose, I, you can almost look at the, the negative experiences, all stoic philosophy stuff. You know, you have control of your perception of it and how you relate to it. Yeah. You know, and so I think that oftentimes the people that create the most amazing art come from some of the most tormented backgrounds, you know, and you can look at those effed up things that happen to you throughout the day as almost like kindling you know or it's it's wood for the fire whereas a lot of people they just have these fat kind of useless lives where everything just gets provided for them and they never get any really good fuel to combust with you know and so i have zero percent woe is me about yeah. about all that yeah but yeah so with the, with the physical body stuff the bodybuilding led to my parts starting to fall off you know so i went from being like an ice hockey player and i was like really into sport i cared most about sport you know and then from there i cared most most about you know creating like you know superficial whatever you call that and then what i felt happen is my parts started to fall off Literally, dislocations, dislocated both my shoulders, dislocated my ankle. My movement became clunky and generally shitty. You know, so I went from being like all-star hockey player, you know, like best on the whatever to like, oh, like kind of turning into like a machine a little bit. Like, what is that? You know, and then started getting injuries and such. And then from there, started pursuing manual therapy, you know, rolfing and structural integration and, and really just this concept of integration. You know, how do we put the parts back together? You know, and that's like any holistic practitioner, which is like a dirty word. Like that's what they're going for. How do we put all these parts back it sucks together? That that's a dirty word. It's a great I, word. I, I was recently telling someone um, that has some physical issues that you know you really need to go to like a holistic doctor, and they were like, "Oh, is that some like old hippie lady with yeah. underarm hair that smells like patchouli and?" you know, like has a bunch of cats running around their office. I'm like, no, dude, it's like, it's holistic. It's, yeah. it's whole, it's uh, fully integrative. It's not, it's not isolating parts of you. It's treating your body as an entire body. It's, yeah. it's hard to explain that to someone because some of those terms have a bad rap, like a naturopath doctor. A lot of people are skeptical um, against those kind of things. I even have a resistance against the word health until I looked it up. And then health is actually like a, what is it, a Germanic word or old English? And it, and it means whole. And it was like help or something like that. It's like H-A-E-L-P or something, you know, which you like then all of a sudden health to me became like, okay, I'm on board with health. I'm back on board, you know, but right. when people are like healthy food, I'm like, what do you, what, what do you mean? 
<laughs> you know, like a healthy because there's a lot that goes into food you know there's the intention yeah. that you put into creating that food yeah you know so it's like what is what are your thoughts as you're eating that food you know it's funny you say that because recently i've been going out to some really nice restaurants yep. and and deviating a bit from i don't like to say i'm on a diet but deviating a bit from things i would normally eat so maybe i'm eating some really good homemade pasta or something that technically has gluten in it which i normally would avoid right. But have you ever noticed that like really great, expensive gourmet food, even if it's not organic, even if it doesn't follow your guidelines, somehow doesn't agitate your body as much as some food that wasn't prepared with that kind of care? I mean, even in the presentation and just, you know, when a chef makes you some food, yeah. they would normally bug you. It doesn't, it, for me, it doesn't bug me as much. Have you yeah. found that to be true? Or yeah. like, you know, your fan, your mom or your family makes a meal and you're like, oh shit, they got this shit at Costco. Totally. And you're like, I'm going to be farting all night if I eat this bullshit. And yeah. then you eat it and you're actually okay. Maybe because there was so much love in it. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, so whether that's something that uh, another one of those things, if you look into like, uh, Japanese guy, Motsara, the, the water guy. Oh, with that? Uh, Emoto, Emoto, Dr. Emoto, Dr. Yeah. Emoto, you yeah. know, so that's an interesting example of like, okay, great. So the human body is comprised based upon your age and your hydration level, something like 75, 80% water, you know? And so Dr. Emoto amongst other people are showing this really, really fascinating evidence that our water crystals in our environment are affected by our thoughts, by our feelings, by the sounds that we make, you know? And so, oh, that's really fascinating. Yeah, so and that for, could, the, for the show notes, you guys, uh, what he's referring to is Dr. Emoto. Uh, the, he has a few books, but the main one's called The Hidden Messages in Water, water I believe. Yeah, and yeah. He, he would take different types of water from different places, and then he would do different things to them, and then he would flash photograph them as they were freezing, so frozen ice crystals that kind of look like snowflakes. And if he was to play like Metallica at some water, like a vial of water, it becomes like, or gangster rap or something, it'd become super warped and brown and the crystals look like shit, like super ugly. And then if he played Mozart at the water, they would make these pristine, just ornate, beautiful crystals and putting the word hate on a vial of water would change yeah. the structure versus love. Playing the Beatles did something different than Eminem. You know, it's like, it is really fascinating stuff. Yeah. And and I love the, I've never heard anyone bring that up about the fact of the, the water in your food, right? Really? Yeah. And the water in your body. And in your, and yeah, so that, I mean, this gets into like germ theory versus uh, terrain theory. That's the one, right? So terrain theory is how your body interprets information, right? So it's not about the germ stuff, the Louis Pasteur stuff. It's more, I mean, then there is relevance to that, right? But it's more about what's my interpretation of this bacteria because, you know, Luke or whoever has a cold, you know, so it's like if I come in and my terrain is robust and I am strong and I'm feeling good and all that stuff, like I don't give a crap about your bacteria, man. I'm surrounded by bacteria all day. Right. You know, I, what I care about is right. how I interpret that information. You know, so that is just kind of like a micro. So you're a Joseph Campbell guy. So you believe in you believe in the power of belief then. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Follow your bliss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Important. Yeah, because I find people get really tripped out if somebody comes in the room and I don't want to shake your hand or this or that because I'm sick. I'm always like, I don't get sick. Yeah. Which I really rarely, rarely do in terms of a cold or a flu or something like that. And I don't think it's because I'm necessarily that healthy. I just, I firmly believe that I don't get sick. I have physical issues here and there and there's always some shit I'm tweaking on and trying to fix like my back or Mm -hmm. digestion or whatever it is. But um but just not believing that germs are going to hurt me or like, I'm the guy that, I mean, dude, I'll (laughs) 
<laughs> I was telling someone the other day, back when I smoked cigarettes, which I really miss sometimes, to be honest, when I tried to, when I would try to quit, I wouldn't go buy them, but I'd be walking through an alley and I'd see like a cigarette button. I'd just, fuck it. Like some homeless person like discarded a perfectly good half cigarette with some gross lipstick on it, some shit. I just pick it up in the alley and, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time that would just like almost throw up when I would do that. She's like, I'm not kissing you for the next two years. You're going to, um, <laughs> for you're going to get, she's like, you're going to get sick. I'm like, no, I don't get sick. I don't yeah. care what is on that thing that I just picked up off the ground, whether it's dog piss or human feces or whatever, like I'm good. It, it can't hurt me because I don't believe it can hurt me. And then there, this goes into the Wim Hof stuff too. Sure. You know, the shit Wim Hof does with killing a fucking Ebola and they inject into his bloodstream just by breathing techniques. I mean, it's like, but then so there, there's also the, the, so as we're getting into this, we're getting to kind of potentially. This is a very like Joe Rogan-esque episode today, perfect. by the way. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> Isn't that's, it? that's, that's like, the only way that I, like, I know how to do I like anything. It. It's cool, yeah. it's cool. So with that though, you know, looking at the interpretation of that side point, I think that it's something that's, that's an interesting thing of like our perception of this, like I don't get sick, you know, that's good. That's a belief, right? But then from there, there's work. You know, so I think this is where it's like, there's a lot of like hippy dippy new age, you know, people that have stuff like prayer beads and shit like that, you know, where they're just like, yeah, you know, I just don't believe, I just, you know, manifestation, you know, you're sitting at your freaking house manifesting your Corvette or whatever BS, you know, and there's like, okay, that's, I think there's something to that, you know, but that's just a small percentage of it, right? The other percentage of it is what kind of work do you put out? You know, so from a health perspective, that work would look like, you know, sucking back one, you know, mother earth's teeth, you know, like what's your sleep look like? What's your water quality look like? What's your movement practice look like? You know, and then another kind of bigger, grander meta point along that is the way that our physical structure affects our physiology, right? So if you're in this kind of folded over douchey position and your shoulders are rolled forward and your hyperkyphosis, like old man, broken position, right? The same position we're in was we're staring into our cell phones we're sitting in our cars, all that stuff. Physiologically, your body receives that information as Luke's sick. Who <laughs> wow. receives information as Luke's losing, Luke's defensive, right? So this, these are integrated patterns over millennia that we've adapted from at one point, you know, the saber-toothed tiger was there. So we go into this defensive, contracted, folded over position because we're about to fight or we just lost. You know, the saber-toothed tiger ate my daughter. <laughs> I'm really sad about it. Right. And then there's the other one where it's like, I fucking won. I, I, I killed the tiger, you know, and that position is the same position that people, you know, blind people, deaf people, people with mental disabilities, whatever. They all win the exact same physical posture. Right. right? They right. go shoulders up, you know, open up the, you know, all the, you know. The, the, Dude, that's so good. Uh, yes. Yes. I love this. This mm -hmm. reminds me of. I think it was a TV show or a short documentary I watched years ago about body language. And they did this study where they had people do different things before job interviews. So they had like a yeah. series of people they sent on job interviews and they would have some people, you know, listeners, you can't see what I'm doing, but I have my arms up in the air. Like a, imagine like a grizzly bear standing up and going, ah, yep. so they, they would have the, um, the interview, the interviewees before they went an interview, some of them, they just, it was like a double blind study or whatever, right. Based on body language, they have just half the people go in and just not do anything, just go in and do the interview. And then they have half the people splay their arms out, arch their back and stick their tongue out. Ah, like yeah. a wild animal in the Kundalini back yoga. Yeah. In the fucking a dude yeah. in the bathroom before they go in. And then what, I forget what it was, but like the people that did that all got hired 
because they went in feeling confident. So it's like oh. you can, you can actually <clears throat> use your own body language to trick your biology into exuding a different energy. Yeah. And so I later learned something called breath of fire or e it's ego eradicator, they call it, um, which I don't think is actually possible. It's more like ego modifier to me. But and there's a position you do for that. You can Google it. Ego eradicator Kundalini yoga. And it's the same thing. You go. <laughs> You do breath of fire with your hands up in the air. And dude, I do that before every business meeting. I'll be in the bathroom doing that shit before I go record a podcast, before I go do public speaking. And all my friends, everyone I do business with knows me. And they're just like, oh, here goes Luke doing his thing. But if you walk out in front of a crowd of 50, 100,000 people having done that, your energy is so much different mm -hmm. than if you're just sitting backstage slumped over in anxiety, worrying about looking like a loser when you go out there, which is going to be my natural propensity if I don't do something to counteract that and really build that sort of energy and confidence yeah yeah and something that we don't get into with that which something like yoga practice is the good ones you know so so yoga means the sanskrit word is yuj or, you know, or yoke or union you know so integration the same as the derivative for health which means wholeness right so all these words are the same thing you know and if you can start to integrate health or wholeness or yoga or union into every aspect of your day or more aspects of your day you start winning Right. You know, so when you're in that, you know, doing like breath of fire or pranayama or, you know, whatever you may be doing, one of the really main driving points that Western culture may miss out on is what's the organization of your feet? What's the organization of your pelvis? What's the organization of your spine? Right. So if you're listening to this, you're like, okay, Luke's cool. And, you know, I, I trust his opinion. And you like breathe and you put your thumbs up and you rotate your arms out. Okay, cool. And then, you know, like, no, no, that's not, it's not enough. You know, you got, you, now we got to think, how are we integrating this into our whole entire body? Right. My whole body is coming online, you know, so when you go into and I know that you, you, you know that, but but it's just it's, it's easy for us to take sound bites potentially and be like, OK, like I got we only got a percentage of it, man. <laughs> you know, you, you, we need to nail the whole part. Once we start tapping on the whole part, now the body begins to upregulate, you know, and with the body language perspective. Something when you're before you're going into that business meeting or whatever, look at the organization. How grounded do you feel in your feet? Right. So if you're going in there and you're tightening your collar and you're opening up your throat and you're me, 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 you know, whatever you're doing to prepare for your thing. If your knees are dropping in wow. and your and your feet are you know, the arches of your feet are collapsed and, you know they call it like navicular drop the bone in your medial side of your foot is just like smearing against the ground as opposed to being a nice erect tent right no pun intended in relation to the previous conversation you know which is gonna which is gonna <laughs> allow you get the, the your glutes to engage properly right so that's the strongest most robust organization of joints and muscles in your whole entire body if that organization is <laughs> strong and engaged whoo, all of a sudden i can do damage if i need to you know but if i come from a place of and i'm still disconnected i'm doing the practice but it's not connecting through my whole body you know and any good yogi you know any good yoga practice that's what they're talking about so. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, it reminds me of a. I might have shared this with you before. I think in our last um, hangout was years ago. Guys, it must have been ten years ago. I, I don't know. I randomly found this guy on the west side who was uh, a physical therapist, and he was a tai chi master. And he was an older guy, probably about five six, really tiny, frail looking guy, and he was very heavily autistic. Mm. And as part of his 
to me, this is my interpretation, as part of his autistic gift, he was able to see the skeleton of a human body through the flesh. <laughs> and he could watch you fucking move. He'd have you get up and down uh, off the ground. And he claimed, and it sounded legit to me, that he could tell how you took your first step when you were a baby. You know, and he could, he was just an amazing guy, just so profoundly knowledgeable and wise about the body and um and had practiced tai chi for many years so it's like the physical therapy with him was really weird he basically taught me how to walk in this single file like one foot in front of the other this very weird organization of your pelvis and knees and the way your feet are pointing at this very subtle stuff that made a huge impact but the thing that was the big takeaway and i still use this is this might, might even be 15 years is he goes all right shake my hand and I'm just all loosey goosey, like a you know, like a Play-Doh body, just you know, totally like relaxed all over. And I go to shake his hand, and he could take me. And he's a little guy, and I'm six two. I mean, I'm not like ripped, but I'm not a wuss either. And he would grab my hand and just like throw me around the room. He could like throw me on the ground with one fucking arm if I wasn't doing what he later taught me. So he's like, that handshake is so weak. He's like, no one's going to hire you. No one's going to do a deal with you because that feels so weak. You need to ground your body before you shake someone's hand. So he taught me this technique. I wish I could, I guess you can watch it on the Facebook live video, um, which will be on my Facebook page, which is at Mr. Luke story. If you ever want to watch this video listeners, but what he would do is he said, you keep your elbow right uh, glued to your ribs like this, like no flailing arm out to the side, keep your elbow on your ribs. And then like you just said, it's an echo of the same thing. You put your feet parallel to one another, not splayed out to the left and to the right, lock your knees, lock your quads, lock your ass, lock your hips really stiff. And then you shake that hand and he taught me how to do that. And it's like such a different experience being the one who's getting your hand shaken by the person who's got that erect thing. And the other person doesn't even know you're doing it, but it projects like so much more power and confidence and just security when you align your body like that. And it's just one of those weird things that just stuck. And now whenever I shake anyone's hand, like I won't even put my hand out if I can't get in the right position Mm. because that first impression is so key. And then he went on to show me that you can do the same thing when you're addressing someone um, speaking. So speaking from the diaphragm, but also locking up the bottom half of your body. And he would show me by, I don't want to like yell into the mic, but he'd have you go like, hey, with a loose body. And it sounded so fucking weak. And then he'd go, all right, do the thing. You know, your pelvic tightening whole thing. He'd go, now go, hey. And dude, you'd like break windows with the second hey when your body's tight and grounded and you're kind of like, and almost like bowing your knees and just the whole lower body just all locked in and your core and your spine gets erect. And I was like, holy shit. So, and I still use that. Anytime I go out on stage, do public speaking or teaching, I lock my whole thing and I'm like, hey guys, this is Luke. How's it going? Blah, blah, blah. And I start my thing and it's such a different energy coming out the gate. They'd be like, hey, look, like all weak ass flimsy body. So speak to more of that. I love this. Yeah, so you're describing a concept called irradiation. Oh, cool. There's a name for it? <laughs> There's a name. Dope. Okay, dope. Um, this you know, is good. Yeah, so it's thinking about as you engage something tighter, so you know, one of like the powerlifting cues or Olympic lifting cues or whatever cues, you know, if you want to pick heavy stuff off, off the ground cues is imagine that you're squeezing the toothpaste out of the bar. You know, you're trying to like squeeze the pulp out of the bar. You know, and what you're doing with that is you're squeezing as tight as you possibly can. And so upon squeezing as tight as you possibly can, it actually allows you to recruit more motor units. Motor units are the cells that are activating uh, muscle fibers, right? So the harder we engage 
all of a sudden, imagine it's like a lightning bolt, right? It's a bigger, thicker, stronger, more robust lightning bolt that ends up then bringing, recruiting more of these motor units, more of this, mus- this muscular tissue, you know? So if you have kind of like a weak fish hand foot, oh, weak fish hand knee, weak fish hand glute, weak fish hand hand, right? You're, you're, you're kind of disengaging that muscular potential that you could be creating. You know, and another little just addition that people can kind of like take home with that as far as like, okay, cool, irradiation, that's a big word. Um, something that you can play with, irradiation aside, with handshakes is body language 101 kind of stuff. If you're shaking somebody's hand and you're going, you know, like one-on-one, like we can shake hand right now, right? So if we're going here, we're both even, right? You know, so I'm not, I have no ad- advantage, you have no advantage. We're right down the, down, the, down the middle. If I shake your hand like this, it's kind of like you're my bitch. Damn, right, so if bro. I just rotate my hand, could you feel the difference? Yeah, right. It's I feel like, like it's I can, total cr- I can right crush now. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, but yeah. if I want to feign, you know, weakness, then I would do the opposite and say it's really good to meet you, man. Whoa. Like I'm your bitch dog. Like you got me. You know, Whoa. even if you do or don't got me, you know, like I'll, I'll I'll give you that because it's it's appropriate for the situation. That's interesting. That's a good one, dude. So, <sighs> I mean, this gets into like the science of body language and NLP and all kinds of other stuff. Cause I don't know, man. I mean, it's important to know that. So say like for me, I would imagine I would go with the more passive one. If I was meeting someone that was a fucking egomaniac and I didn't want to threaten them in any way, I would let them know like, Oh, you're the alpha. It's cool. You're the expert here. You're the badass. You're the boss. You're the dog. Right. And I'd like give them the passive one. But maybe in some cases, like if I want to really make an impression and I know the person won't be threatened and I just want to impart my confidence, I might, choose the turn to the left that's a little more dominant yeah 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 Yeah. if you're maybe if you're like buying you know and this isn't like my forte or whatever it's more like the science of like why it's happening and how we can make it happen better is what i really care about you know but say you're like buying a car or something like that you know it's like no like i'm actually i got this bitch yeah you know like i know what i'm looking at you know this isn't my first rodeo like yeah this is you're not gonna you're you're not taking me exactly i guess that's the kind of situation i'm thinking about yeah but if you want to be more disarmoring with someone you know and you want to kind of play dead fish like oh man like oh like i'm the little princess you know whatever yeah like if disarmoring somebody it would be like stage is yours bud enjoy that's cool that's cool that's interesting yeah because with i got hung up once because someone said my show was too heteronormative so now i'm like all paranoid (laughs) (laughs) now i'm too like paranoid to just be me but i i I don't know i can't i can't help it i'm a fucking hetero male guy i don't it's the only way i can say it but (laughs) with guys there's there's a we have egos you know and women have egos too and i guess some of them use high heels and cute hair to like fucking out alpha other women i don't know whatever or they become a badass owning a company whatever they do i don't know i'm not one but i do know that you gotta as a as a male you gotta know how to play other egos and play off them to just become friends with someone or do business with someone and you have to know when to kind of acquiesce and when to hold your ground a bit just to like do your shit and if you haven't uh, if you don't have an awareness around that I think you're at a huge disadvantage in the body language and how you speak to someone and eye contact and all of that is a huge part of that. Yeah. yeah. And so this is something I almost don't even want to speak on because I want to, this is pretty much exactly what I want to talk to you on my, on my podcast. Okay. You know, but um, just as a little like mini kind of example of things I'm thinking about is like peacocking, 
you know, as an example of this, where it actually is shown to increase testosterone. Peacocking being, you know, like I'm wearing some outfit that's kind of like flashy and it's like putting me out there. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, like I'm big. I got this. I'm the man, you know, or wearing a suit, you know, that makes causes you to feel more confident, you know, or driving a fast car. Or you said you like beamers, you know, having yeah, like, I, I like do. my beamer because it makes me <laughs> feel better. Why does it make you feel better? What is feeling, right? Because it's a badass piece of machinery. That's what you're, you know, that's, yeah, yeah that's what your Luke story part, part of you tells you. Yeah. No, honestly. But then there's the biological okay, okay, self that's, that's, that's saying like, oh, actually this kind of upregulates these certain hormones that feel good to me. And it downregulates these certain hormones or neurotransmitters that feel kind of more so-so. So when I drive the Prius, I feel kind of like, which is maybe, you know, whatever the concoction would be, like more cortisol or less testosterone. Yeah, whatever yeah. It is. Dude, that's so interesting. I'd, I've never heard it spoken about from that perspective because as a former fashion stylist, I get asked by a lot of people like, because the ego is so involved in like how you look on the outside, that peacocking thing, right? Yeah. So where does ego end and where does like self-confidence in the truest and healthiest sense begin? Yep. And I'd never thought about it in terms of neurotransmitter production mm -hmm. when you walk in a room and you're in a two thousand dollar suit you're gonna behave and feel different than you do in your sweats that you got at target like straight up yeah, yeah. but it's just a matter of like how to divorce your sense of self-worth from like the label in your cool leather jacket this is myself speaking in my cool leather jacket versus coming in in yoga pants or some shit you know um i tend to dress like kind of a bum a lot of the time just because I want to be comfortable. But I noticed that my confidence is a little bit lower when I look homeless. Mm -hmm. yeah. But if I make an effort to kind of, you know, like today I knew we we're going to be on video. So I got my little gold rings and my little bracelets. I got my leather cap. I got my little steez going. Like yeah. I feel a little better about myself with you being here and being on video than if I would just have been a total slob and came from Kundalini and just rolled into the interview. Yeah. So it's, it's funny, but I never knew that piece of it. And then the next level of that where, again, more of kind of these like weird wormholes come out is, is what I'm looking at in the least sleazy, maybe partially sleazy way possible is what do you look like naked? Right. You know, so, Ooh, so what's, ouch. so what's your physical structure look like when we strip all of the fashion aside, ah, shit. you know, and See, that's, right there is where you got me and that, and so, <laughs> <laughs> ah, fuck, <laughs> you know, and so, and so that's, it's like, and, and I know that you know this when you are tailoring somebody's suit or whatever it is, right. what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it look like they look good when they're naked. You're going to try and make them look like you look. Thank you. Yeah. 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 You know, and so that's, and so that's what we're, what we're looking for is, is from there, there's this, so that the clothes are kind of meta, or you could say your nakedness is meta, but there's something that's on top of something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Dude, you're absolutely on point because whether you're dressing, a, you know, back to stylist brain, whether you're dressing a man or a woman, what you are trying to create using the volume of the fabric, the geometry, the shapes of the clothing is in a man, you're trying to create a V and in a woman, you're trying to create an hourglass. Yeah, and, and a butt. Yeah, and you're trying to create a mateable human, yep. whether that be man or female, and you're using clothes to do it. And that's like, that's the whole purpose of a stylist is to make an aesthetically pleasing outfit that makes that person marketable for money or mating purposes. Yeah. And what's funny about it is, I mean, I could go way deep into this and it's, this is not, I have to remember who's interviewing who. Yeah, we'll save yeah, it for really, when we do your interview, but different, you know, you have your ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph, your, you know, your three main male body types, and the fabrics and stuff you use, it gets really fascinating, will differ depending on how much natural structure the body has that you're dressing. Mm. So it, it gets trippy, and we'll talk about it on your show. Yeah. 
This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, my friend, but I got to cut it off. This was such an epic interview with Aaron that I had to cut it in two parts. And sometimes I debate on whether or not to do that. I know sometimes I listen to podcasts like Joe Rogan or other ones that are really long. Even the Tim Ferriss show sometimes is quite long. But I don't know. It's a real commitment to me to ask someone to sit down for two, two and a half hours and listen to one single episode. So I decided a while ago to split my long episodes into two halves. So you can catch this one today as you just did being part one with Aaron Alexander and then tune in this Friday for part two where we go deeper down all of these rabbit holes. So I want to thank you so much for joining me on this one. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss Friday's part two. I'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to my newsletter at lukestory.com. This way, not only will I send you all of the links and show notes for every episode, but if I have a two-part episode like this and you only caught part one, you'll be reminded of part two on the following Friday. And it's just a lot of fun to get emails from me. Let's admit it, because I don't send you a bunch of weird stuff. I pretty much only notify you if I release some cool content like a YouTube video or a podcast episode. Thank you so, so much from the deepest bottom of my heart for listening. And I'll catch you this Friday for part two.